Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call.
Good morning. Welcome to the Automotive Properties REIT 2021 First Quarter Financial Results Conference Call and Webcast. My name is Chris and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. Following management's remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Please be aware that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the REIT's current views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking information. For more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions relating to forward-looking information, please refer to the REIT's latest MDNA and annual information form, which are available on CDAR. Management may also refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures. Although the REIT believes these measures provide useful supplemental information about financial performance, they are not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Again, please refer to the REIT's latest MDNA for additional information regarding non-IFRS financial measures. This call is being recorded on Thursday, May 13, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Milton Lamb. Please go ahead. Good. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. With me on the call is Andrew Calra, our Chief Financial Officer. We generated growth across all of our key performance measures in the quarter in comparison to Q1 of last year. Our property rental revenue grew by 4.3%, cash NOI increased by 7.8%, same property cash NOI was up 1.3%, and AFFO per unit diluted increased to 22.7 cents from 20.8 cents. Our financial flexibility has also improved. At quarter end, our debt to GBV ratio was 41.7% down from 43.2% at 2020 year end and 44.9% at the end of Q1 of last year. The automotive dealership industry in Canada has faced unprecedented challenges since the onset of the pandemic. Dealership operators, including our tenant groups, provided rapidly, sorry, responded rapidly and effectively to the pandemic with enhanced e-commerce solutions and streamlined operations, demonstrating strong resiliency. While our tenants continue to operate on a limited basis during the quarter due to pandemic relief uh, related business restrictions, we received 100% of our contractual rent due under their leases, plus continued repayments on previous deferrals. No further deferrals were requested. <clears throat> this is a testament to the success of their businesses and resiliency. As a result, the capitalization rate applicable to our entire portfolio was reduced to 6.6% at quarter end, a reduction of approximately 10 basis points from 6.7 at 2020 year end. The capitalization rate is now equal to the rate used at the end of 2020, oh, sorry, at the end of 2019, prior to the onset of the pandemic. During the quarter, on March 1st, we completed the acquisition of the Lexus Laval dealership property in Laval, Quebec, from the Delari Group, further increasing our presence in Canada's second largest metropolitan market. We satisfied the purchase price by issuing the equivalent of $14.8 million in REIT units increasing Delari's effective interest in the REIT to approximately 28.1%.
as COVID restrictions ease, macroeconomic conditions will improve, driving further recovery of our dealerships' businesses. This should result in increased opportunities to continue advancing our acquisitions program. With our low debt-to-GBV rate and strong liquidity position, we're well positioned to capitalize on this. I'd now like to turn it over to Andrew Calera, who will review our financial results and position in more detail. Andrew? Thanks, Milton, and good morning, everyone. Our property rental revenue for the quarter totaled $19.4 million. The 4.3% increase from Q1 2020 reflects growth from properties acquired during and subsequent to Q1 last year, contractual annual rent increases, and a lease termination fee paid by a former tenant during the quarter. Total cash NOI and same property cash NOI for the quarter increased to $16.1 million and $14.8 million, respectively, reflecting increases of 7.8 and 1.3% respectively compared to Q1 a year ago. Growth in cash NOI was primarily attributable to acquisitions, contractual rent increases, and the lease termination fee, while growth in same property cash NOI primarily reflects contractual rent increases. GNA expenses for the quarter were approximately 7% of cash NOI compared to 6.5% in Q1 last year. Higher GNA expense in Q1 this year is primarily due to the vesting of previously issued deferred units. Net income for the quarter was $26.3 million compared to net income of 15.7 in Q1 last year, an increase of 67.2%. The increase was primarily due to higher NOI fair value adjustments for interest rate swaps and investment properties partially offset by fair value adjustments for Class B units and unit-based compensation. FFO and AFFO for the quarter increased by 8.3 and 11.0% respectively compared to Q1 last year. FFO per unit diluted was 23.9 cents in the quarter compared to 22.4 cents in Q1 last year. And as Milton noted, AFFO per unit diluted was 22.7 cents up from 20.8 cents in Q1 a year ago. The growth was primarily due to properties acquired during and subsequent to Q1 last year, contractual rent increases, a lease termination fee that was offset by the reduction of the straight line rent adjustment to the termination, due to the termination of the lease. Three paid total distributions of $9.6 million or 20.1 cents per quarter in, in, in the quarter, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 88.5 cents. 88.5%. This compares to total distributions paid of $9.6 million or $20.1 cents per unit in Q1 last year, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 96.6%. As at March 31st, we had a strong financial liquidity position with $56.9 million of undrawn credit facilities, 10 unencumbered properties with a value of approximately $166.8 million providing us with additional financial flexibility and a debt-to-GBV ratio of 41.7%. We had $394 million of outstanding debt at the quarter end with an effective weighted average interest rate of 3.73%. We have a well-balanced level of annual maturities and our weighted average interest rate swap and mortgage term is 5.7 years. I'd like to turn the call back to Milton for closing remarks. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. The automotive 
the automotive dealership industry is an essential business that has demonstrated strong resiliency through a difficult period. We have collected 100% of our April and May 2021 contractual base rent plus rent that is due under the deferral agreements. We have not received any additional deferral requests. We believe that the overall fundamentals of the automotive dealership businesses are strong and that the industry has demonstrated its resiliency. As the pandemic is brought under control, we expect the pace of the industry consolidation to rebound. Given our strong balance sheet position, we can pursue acquisitions on a strategic basis through debt financing and available liquidity. This now concludes our remarks and we'd like to open it up for questions. Chris, please go ahead. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Your first question comes from Mark Rothschild, Canaccord. Mark, please go ahead. Thanks, thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, Good to maybe, maybe just following up on the, the last comment you, you made, Milton, it, it seemed like you were saying that you expect um, there to be more properties available for sale. Clearly, dealers are, um, the business has picked up of late. They're doing well. Are, are, is this something you're seeing already in the market, more availability? And maybe it's just a second part of that uh, question. If you could talk about the, has the values changed in what you're saying, price expectations, um, compared to where we were maybe, you know, this time last year? Yeah, I mean, there's been, um, I would say, talking to the bankers um, that provide the credit facilities to the dealership groups, talking to the brokers who sell dealers, uh, dealerships, um, they're all saying they're hearing a lot of murmurs, and there's a lot of people preparing for the consolidation that is going to occur, but they're not seeing the type of product uh, during a lockdown that they would anticipate. It seems like everyone's kind of getting into a bit of a queue as opposed to acting on it right now. So um, short answer is expecting. It's loud murmurs, but we're not seeing the, the same sort of activity we would if there wasn't a lockdown. Um, I, I don't think that changes the underlying consolidation theme. It just delays it a little bit. Um, and then on the price availability, you know, good question. Certainly interest rates are dramatically lower than they were a year ago, uh, which means the cost of capital for, um, for vendors um, or dealerships is lower, uh, and the cost of capital for us is lower. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and what their expectations are, but that's too early to, to, to say at this point. Okay, great, thanks. Maybe just one more maybe for Andrew. Um, yeah. it, it seems like you're saying that the lease termination income is offset by the impact of straight line rent. Can you just walk me through exactly how that worked and sure. if there really sure, was Mark. no, if it balanced out? Sure, Mark. Um, it's, it's not completely offset. Um, if you look at the straight line rent adjustment difference from uh, 2021 Q1 to 2020, it's about 200000 uh, 200, 
and a significant amount of that was a result of the uh, the lease termination. So it's not a, it's not a pure offset, but uh, I can leave you to the math on that one then. Okay, great. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jonathan Kelcher, TD Securities. Jonathan, please go ahead. Thanks. Um, good morning. Uh, just to follow up on that last little bit on lease termination income, can you um, maybe give us your expectations for, for the balance of this year? Like what's a, what's a good run rate? Um, I would uh, I would take that the 518 that we had and um, and add add, uh, add the, uh, the the 200. So a 700 would be a, a decent run rate. Okay, thanks. And then yeah. um, and 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 Mark, uh, sorry. Um, uh, it, it will fluctuate as we move, as things move accordingly with uh, with acquisitions. And then, obviously, right. we're not ex we're not expecting further lease termination payments. Um, that was an anomaly, and even then, that was more accounting because, as we've mentioned before, it was an offset whereby uh, we collected a lease termination fee that was equal to what we provided to Tesla for improvements. Yeah, so that, that, that was a net zero. Yeah, Jonathan, from a pure cash, it's, it would be net zero, but the accounting is going to have to dictate accordingly. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Um, when we look at your leases, um, can you remind us, like, what percentage of the leases are, are CPI related? And, and generally, how, how do those work? Is it like an annual reset or um, what, are, what are the mechanics there? Um, I don't. I don't have the percentage in front of me um, on that number, so we can kind of circle back on that. But um, as far as how it works, most of them are going to be provincial by nature, uh, with a base year, and then obviously an inflator above that um, based on the CPI index, uh, and that'll get adjusted, you know, annually on the anniversary. Okay. Um, that is it for me. I'll, I'll turn it back. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from Kyle Stanley, Desjardins. Kyle, please go ahead. Thanks. Morning, guys. Good. Yeah. Morning. Um, so, you know, as we emerge from the pandemic, are you expecting capital commitments to ramp up at all? You know, maybe as dealers or OEMs catch up on any deferred spending uh, from the pandemic? I would probably say yes, um, but I don't think that means it's the next day. I think as much as they can, they're pushing it off into 22 and 23. Um, but I do believe that the OEMs are uh, a lot more flexible now. Um, but as soon as, you know, er everyone's talking about the strong profitability. So I think the OEMs, as soon as the microchip supply chain and, you know, COVID has Dissipated are going to push them back to their capital imaging improvements, et cetera. Uh, but I, I would see that having a slight delay, and then yes, absolutely, it's going to come back to the forefront. Okay. Um, and then just following up on kind of the uh, the deal market right now. So, uh, are you seeing much out there yourselves, or do you expect the bulk of kind of what you'll be able to complete in the next, say, 12 to 18 months being driven by Delari's growth? No, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be Delari. I don't know if it's going to be other dealership groups, um, but certainly we do expect, you know, call it the 18 months, um, that there is going to be, you know, with all the murmurs, um, all the discussions we're having, 
um, the consolidation is going to recommence. Um, and, you know, a lot of our tenants and certainly other ones out there are going to be the significant players. Uh, as mentioned before, it's I think the larger groups are going to continue to get larger. Okay. And then just the last one, and then kind of following up on Mark's prior question. Um, so your cap rate has come back down to pre-pandemic levels. Um, yeah. And, you know, given interest rates and what they've done, like you, like you just mentioned, I'm just wondering, you know, with regards to the market pricing that you're seeing, do you think there's more room for cap rate compression uh, within your portfolio? Yeah, so I'll, I'll do two parts on that. The first one is going back to 6.6. Uh, at previous calls, I had mentioned that uh, because of my experience prior to APR, that anytime you're giving any sort of tenant assistance, uh, I was of the belief and the board was of the belief that if you're giving tenant assistance, a new purchaser is going to discount or increase the cap rate that they require. Uh, we're no longer giving tenant assistance. As mentioned, the uh, starting January 1st, everyone's paying their lease rates um, as per their lease and then actually paying back any deferrals. So that's normalized. And with 100% rent collection, we felt good about going back to where we were before. The second part of the question is now interest rates are lower. Um, the market, as it gets back to activity, uh, it'll be inter interesting to see what's demonstrated on what cap rates are going to be. In other sectors, you've seen them drift lower. Um, but we haven't seen that evidence yet because we haven't seen the activity. So when the activity comes back, you know, certainly it's always an, an equation which is part initial return, part after leverage return. Um, so we're, we're, we're watching that closely. Okay, perfect. Thanks for the color. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Your next question comes from Joanna Chem, BMO Capital. Joanna, please go ahead. Hi, good morning, guys. Um, yeah. It's just um, a broader question. You know, of course, there's a lot of pent up demand, and obviously, uh, auto sales have come back pretty strong through 2021. Um, you know, when, with the opening, they'll likely only pick up, but, you know, we're hearing a lot on a broader broader scale in terms of, um, you know, uh, chip shortages that yep. might get now extend beyond 2021. And of course, some of that is disproportionately uh, skewed towards the auto industry. But are you hearing anything from your dealership with respect to some of that supply that's able to come to the dealers right now um, to service that, you know, uh, demand? Yeah, it's it certainly... Um, a discussion that everyone's talking about is the inventory supply chain. Um, everyone's talking about, you know, that's that's going to affect 21 models, um, probably less so, very much less so in the 22 models. Um, but it is important when we look at this, two things. One is new car sales, maybe a higher percentage of revenue, but it's certainly a, a far lower percentage. We've talked about plus or minus 20% of the profits. Um, at, at this point, it's kind of inverse in the fact that it's tough to get discounts on cars. Um, gross margins are up for new car sales because inventory is down. So it, I think it affects the OEMs more than it affects the dealer groups um, or the dealerships because, you know, their gross profits on new car sales are pretty healthy. Um, right. But th there's even with the less volume, that higher profits. That's that hasn't changed at all uh, on that front, even, you know, as more of these persons get discussed, but it doesn't seem like that's changed, so that's good. No, supply-demand is supply-demand. So yeah. when supply gets constricted because what we're talking about, then that's going to have an effect on 
uh, less on demand. I'd say demand as we get back. You know, if you look to the states where they've opened up earlier than we have, that demand has bounced back. So I would expect the same thing to happen in Canada. Right. Um, and maybe just shifting uh, gears back on, to the, on the acquisition side of things, um, is there any markets where you're particularly focused right now or just kind of um, uh, kind of uh, across your portfolio? Uh, we always focus on metropolitan markets, uh, demographic, underlying demographic growth, um, positioning, et cetera. We've talked about that before. We, we still certainly like that triangle of Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, um, Vancouver. We, we, as long as everyone else, love it, but it's at a, a different cap rate level, so we'd only do so much of it. Um, the Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary is, is uh, showing signs of recovery, which we like. But we will look at that as kind of a, a stable growth as we grow the portfolio, as opposed to going long on Alberta. Okay, got it. And maybe just one last one for me. Um, it looks like I, you know, uh, the weighted average rental rate picked, uh, for the overall portfolio did tick down a little bit uh, because of the Tesla level service. Was that? Primarily because uh, the lease term was extended by the two and a half years. That's why it was a little bit lower, or was there some other mechanics in there? No, I, I think it would have drifted lower. No, I mean, the Tesla, the, the Tesla Edmonton was at very similar, well, actually, same levels, so that wouldn't have adjusted. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the Tesla Laval, which, because it's a you know, 120-odd thousand-foot location that is um, you know, a bit more service and distribution, as opposed to pure retail and a, a normal dealership footprint, that would have lowered our. And you'll you'll see that in the Montreal stats. That would have lowered our lowered our average. Uh, uh, Andrew, is that that that's correct. It's the square footage on that Montreal property that's just lowering the average. Got it. Okay. Uh, no, that's helpful. Uh, that's it for me. I'll turn it back. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As a reminder, should you have a question, please press star one on your touchtone phone. Your next question comes from Himanshu Gupta, Scotia Bank. Himanshu, please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Good, so, good morning. Uh, uh, first one, Delari exposure, uh, 62% now. Uh, do you have a target where you want this number to be? I mean, coming off the crisis, uh, will you look for more diversification in the portfolio? No, I, I think that remains pretty consistent. It's it, it's a balance between what we certainly like and have uh, a strategic alliance with Delari. So, you know, adding strength of covenant never hurts. But the bottom line is we own um, most of Delari's real estate, whereby the rest of the dealership universe is far greater. So we expect as we continue to grow that there should be a higher proportion that is um, other dealership groups. So that's naturally going to dilute Delari at the same time. so we, we like the fact that we're looking to increase diversification, but no, we haven't set a specific target. Um, and we don't really look at it that we want to sacrifice um, a deal with a good tenant just for diversification. But, but naturally, there's a, lot, a far greater universe out there from other dealership groups than there would be just with Delari. Got it. Uh, and then a follow-up, uh, I mean, you mentioned auto dealerships, uh, you know, cost of capital has improved quite a bit. Uh, how does that impact your acquisition pipeline? I mean, are the dealerships in a better position now to own the underlying real estate as well? 
Um, I guess the good news is we've mostly wanted to focus on groups that, well, we have focused on groups that, um, you know, have access to capital. So it's about uh, leverage, liquidity, all those good things as they continue to expand. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it always comes down to what's their cost of capital and where do they want to use it? What are their profit margins, return on investment on owning the real estate versus acquiring another dealership? So certainly part of the equation is um, what, what interest rates are they paying to their banks? Uh, I would say when it's free money, um, that they're going to take advantage of it. And the last time we saw significant activity, there was actually a small uptick in interest rates, and that was reminding dealers that there is a cost of leverage. Got it. That's enough. Uh, and then just uh, turning to your IFRS cap rate, obviously back to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you incorporate the land values in your IFRS valuation? I mean, if you know land values in Toronto, Vancouver have gone up in the last two or three years, uh, will that flow through uh, in your uh, portfolio valuation as well? Uh, we certainly look mark uh, look at individual markets. I mean, as an example. Uh, this time last year, we had moved up Alberta more than the rest of the portfolio, and we probably, you know, prior to that, we've talked about reducing our cap rates in Toronto and Vancouver versus the rest of the portfolio. So that certainly comes into it. Overall, uh, prior to the pandemic, we'd been pretty consistent around that 6.5, 6.6%. We, we don't love playing the um, the game about moving cap rates up or down too dramatically on a regular basis. Um, certainly, the interest rate environment um, has has a place to uh, a, a place within the kind of mental calculation on where cap rates should go. But we certainly want to see more of the trades to occur to demonstrate that. Um, yeah, certainly, as you said, the Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. I would say that the the cap rates have gone down on most product categories. Got it. Uh, and my final question is on the CapEx reserve. Uh, I know I think you do 0.5% of the base rent. Have you spent any of that CapEx uh, reserve you had in the last year, or are you planning to spend anything this year? We have not spent anything at this point in time, but uh, uh, we will be spending it based on um, the the acquisitions that we've done. There's some commitments that, that have been made, but nothing has been spent as of today's. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Milton. I'll turn it back. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Tal Woolley, National Bank. Tal, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good yeah. Good morning. Um, just wanted to go back to the dealership profitability discussion you were having with Joanne. Uh, can you remind me how, like, how to think about the service side, the profitability of the service side of the business versus the used and the new uh, auto sales? Uh, yeah, I mean, if if you look at whether it's Auto Canada or Penske Group One, uh, some of the other U.S. Uh, public dealership groups, they kind of break it down nicely. Um, but a lot of them tend to be sales, new car sales, are approximately fifty percent, and profits are approximately twenty percent. Um, so, and and then within the F and I and used car has certainly kind of popped up nicely right now. Um, but we, we always look at it as um, 
you know, plus or minus 20% is the new and then 80% is the other buckets. Um, I think that's probably similar now, except you've seen actually the profits from new car sales go up a bit as profit margins, even though the revenues are down, the profit margins for those new car sales have gone up. Okay. And have you heard anything from, you know, just chatter about when uh, the supply chain issues might be resolved? Like what are the dealers saying? Yeah, I mean, the dealers are the industry overall is just talking about that they expect it to continue um, for the 21 models, but then start uh, resolving itself for the 22 models. So, you know, I, I don't know if that means January 22 or as you see the new models coming out in you know, October, November, December, because often the, the 22 models or the next year's models kind of leak out a bit before the calendar date. Got it. Yeah. The, yeah, the estimates range by various analysts as to how long this will go, but um, they're pretty much down for the next uh, couple of months for sure, but they do range in timing. Okay. Um, and then just to go back to you on your discussion around uh, geographies, um, like, have you guys ever given consideration to maybe looking at um, some of the more regional dealerships outside of the urban markets? I know, like, obviously the, you know, land value and stuff like that is not as not as high, but I wonder if, like, there's ever been thought, given that you might be able to find some decent risk-adjusted returns in those markets? Too. We, we, we certainly have thought about it, but we keep on coming back to – uh, both on the plus side and on the defensive side, that if you're in metropolitan markets, you have intensification, you have lack of supply to relocate, um, you have the advantage of the dealership model that includes radius clauses, so it's very tough to move to find that you know two to three acres in that eight kilometer radius, because if you move you know two or three kilometers without eight kilometer radius, you you trip over another dealer group or another dealership, I should say. Um, so that's, that's one of the baseline that we really enjoy. Um, now having said that, that doesn't mean it's just Beckdom. I mean, as an example, do I like Halifax? Yes. It has a lot of those characteristics. Do I like Kelowna? Do I like Victoria? Do I like Kitchener Waterloo, uh, which, you know, Kitchener Waterloo Guelph, we've done some acquisitions there. The, the answer is yes, but those all have the same sort of, um, underlying fundamentals that I just talked on. Um, going into an area that is very rural, that, that makes us a lot more nervous on retaining the tenant at the end of term. Um, certainly, we do underwriting as well on, and most of the time, we get indemnification on the dealership groups. So we feel good about the lease in the meantime, but there is something nice about the, the underlying um, radius clauses and the supply demand on land. Okay. And any, any thoughts at all at ever about maybe looking at some U.S. markets? Too? Well, I mean, th that kind of goes to the second half of the equation is in the U.S., there's certainly markets that have those fundamentals that a, a tertiary market in Canada would not. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say we're blind or deaf to those ideas. Uh, if we do it, it's going to be on a strategic basis. Um, we, we like what we're seeing in Canada. We expect that market on the M&A to open back up. Um, but that doesn't mean we're blind to other opportunities or that we can only do Canada. Okay, that's perfect. Thanks, Milton. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Thank you.
Thank you. Your next question comes from Brad Sturgis, Raymond James. Brad, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, in terms of, I, I guess, your commentary there on discussions are starting to pick up a bit on the uh, transactional side, given that we've been in a more muted environment with lockdowns, like yeah. do you, it's possible being uh, a little bit of pent-up demand from a transactional point of view once consolidation does really start to resume? Uh, I don't know. Are you itching to get on a patio? Uh, I think it's it's the same sort of thing. Everyone right now is kind of looking at uh, what they want to do as soon as things open back up and getting prepared to do that. So, I mean, I just think overall, whether or not, whether you're talking about M&A within the dealership, yes. When you're talking about activity overall and getting back to normal, the answer is going to be yes. Um, and that goes down to kind of consumer behavior as well. Um, everyone's you know, getting a bit of an itch to get this lockdown over with and kind of getting back to business. So I think there will be uh, a, a noticeably mental rebound. To answer your question, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, and once once that uh, transaction activity starts to occur again, do you, do you believe it's going to be, you know, kind of still following similar historical uh, patterns in terms of deal flow being more back-end weighted, uh, uh, let's say, this year? Uh, you know what? It, we've always been back back half of the year weighted, right? especially the black quarter, the last uh, Q4 of the year weighted uh, as far as transaction activity. Um, you know, I, I keep on talking about the next 18 months. It's, it's hard to pin it exactly. Um, I was wrong for the last six weeks. I didn't expect this lockdown to continue. Um, I don't think anyone did. So, um, you know, certainly when we're talking about 18 months, it's really hard to pin exactly when it's going to occur. Great. Thank you. I'll turn it back. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. That's great, everyone. Uh, take care, and we will talk to you after Q2. All the best. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.